Let me invite your attention to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Even in the annunciation of Gabriel to Mary, he cast a vision for what Jesus Christ would be when he said that upon the throne of his father David he will sit. The vision of the kingdom of God is to restore the throne and the rule of King David, but to have Jesus sit on that throne and then it will expand all over the globe. The vision that I've been proposing to Beach Haven Baptist Church, to our church, is as follows. That Beach Haven Baptist Church will follow Jesus Christ as Lord as a global church, a global local church with local and global missions commitment commitments by winning and baptizing and training great commissionaries, those with the heart and practice of the Great Commission, of all the nations, tribes, languages, and peoples of the Athens-Clark County region. Uh, what I uh, am uh, proposing that we do is that we follow a... Um, uh, a schedule here. On January 4th, I'm wanting us to have a Life Commitment Sunday, and I'm going to ask you on that day to do two things. I want to ask you to pray at 7.14 every morning, if not the morning, then the evening. And 7.14 reminds us of Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. At 7.14, I want us to pray 2 Chronicles 7.14. And I want us to pray for several things. I want us to pray for our vision process. Right now, we're teaching on it. For the first uh, number of months in 2015, I want us to build our faith and pray about it. And then I'm hoping that we will adopt this at least by August 2015. And I want you to pray for that, the vision process. But then I want you to pray also about your role in the Great Commission. Then I want to ask you to pray at 714 every morning for revival, for those who need to make commitments to Christ, and our Act 22 project where we are looking at remodeling, refurbishing uh, uh, Sunday school space for uh, about uh, six um, uh, adult classes and about six or 11 adult classes and 11 preschool and children classes as well. So that's the first commitment, to pray at 714 every day for these things. And then I want to ask you to surrender your resources to God to make this happen. There's not a happy Christian in the world that is not committed to biblical stewardship, to tithing and giving. And we'll ask you to do that Sunday, January the 4th. But I want to say to you and make it clear from this text this morning that if there is no manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit, it's all in vain, no matter what it is that we do. Uh, if there is a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit, then what God accomplishes will be far beyond what we could ever think or ask or imagine. The situation that we find ourselves in today would be like if every automobile in the world had a wreck in Atlanta, which is where it's likely. But if you can imagine every vehicle in the world having a wreck, uh, and everyone losing their lives in that wreck, and metal and bodies being mangled, and God brings you to the scene and says, now raise them from the dead. Repair all the bodies and all the vehicles, and activate all those repaired into communicating this power around the world. Then you would have a good visual image of what God is asking us to do in this age in this community, in this world. Because quite frankly, there has been a wreck in the world and all have died in sin. And God has proposed to us that we enter into the wreck of life 
and the wreck of sin. And with the gospel of Christ, speak the power of God in the gospel of Christ and watch God raise them from the dead. And then to activate those same persons in the global mission of Jesus Christ, beginning at home and in spanning the entire globe. Quite frankly, I feel very inadequate to make that happen. How about you? I don't have what it takes. In fact, there's not enough collective wisdom. There aren't enough collective degrees. There's not enough collective strength in this building to make any of it happen without the supernatural intervention of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we must have. In other words, we need unction in our functions. We don't, do not need merely Bible studies, but Bible studies with power. Not merely worship services, but worship services with power. Not merely meetings, but meetings with the power of God. Not mere witnessing encounters, but the witnessing encounters with the power of God. Not mere prayer, but prayer with the power of God. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So this morning I want to address the power of the Great Commission, and we find that power in the Holy Spirit. Now, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a marvelous and encouraging and necessary doctrine. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not merely a force, though He has plenty of force. He is a person like Jesus is and like the Father is. And so it is inappropriate to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He is not an it, He is a He. He is a person. And then He's not only a person, but He's God. Peter rebuked Ananias and Sapphira for lying to God in Acts 5 and then says in the next breath that they had lied to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. He's as much God as Jesus Christ. He's as much God as the Father is God. And then he takes up residence in all believers. He becomes our companion just like Jesus Christ is. Anytime someone receives Christ as Savior, he takes up permanent residence in our hearts and lives according to Romans 8, 9. And then Jesus told us he would be the kingdom's prosecuting attorney. He is the one that when we witness and share the gospel, that he cross-examines those who are hearing. And he convicts them of sin. And so he lets them know of their guilt and exposes it when we share the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the prosecuting attorney who convinces the world of guilt and the righteousness and the way of Jesus Christ, according to John 16, 8 through 11. Now, what is of special interest today about the Holy Spirit is His power. He was present in creation. The Spirit of God hovered above the surface of the earth in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. He is the first person of the Trinity mentioned in the Bible, before the Father and before the Son. And so He was present at creation. Then He displayed His power in the Incarnation. The way that Mary conceived Jesus in the womb was by the power of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate Christmas in this day precisely because of the power and the act of the Holy Spirit in Luke 1, 35. And then He displayed His power and came to take up permanent residence in the world in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. And then He will display His power in the Apocalypse. In Revelation, 17 references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation. So it comes as no surprise that in this text in Acts chapter 1, we find marvelous and abundant manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we will read verses in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. But verses 4 through 8 is preceded by Christ's resurrection in verses 1 through 3. Jesus is risen and proves His resurrection. 
And then it is followed by verses 9 through 11, his ascension. Two of the great moments and acts of Christian history and the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, his resurrection and his ascension. Beloved, this is our aim and our authority. Our aim is to exalt Jesus Christ as risen and ascended, and our authority is because He sits at the right hand of the Father and is risen from the dead. We want to exalt Jesus Christ, and Jesus promised us we could exalt Him in His great commission because He's going to give us the power of the Holy Spirit. And we find that in verses 4 through 8. Being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father's put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so, beloved, I want to encourage you that we can exalt Jesus in great commission service because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It can happen, it must happen, it will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what kind of power does He give and where does He give it? Well, I want to mention just a couple of things this morning. And that is, first... The Holy Spirit gives abundant internal power. The Holy Spirit gives abundant internal power. So in Great Commission service, you can exalt Jesus because the Holy Spirit gives abundant internal power. E.M. Bounds used the generic he. Please don't be offended by that. When he wrote more than 100 years ago, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more or better machinery, new or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come upon machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Ladies and gentlemen, what we need today are followers of Christ anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so even after three years of a teaching ministry, Jesus continued to teach them and said, there's one thing that you need now and you're going to get it, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus referenced this and used the term baptism to indicate the abundance of the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, John baptized you all, and he did, in water. You were immersed. And the word baptizo means to immerse or dip. And so we are the, we're members of the Southern Baptist Immersers. And the president of our convention is the Big Dipper. And so we, we immerse, we dip. In fact, in the first century, there were some Greek sailors whose ship was sinking and they cried out, baptizo, baptizo. The word baptism is really a Greek word that we brought into English. It really shouldn't have been done that way. It should have been translated instead of transliterated as immerse or dip. Now, when you're placed under the water, Jesus told his disciples, and when John placed you under the water, you were immersed and completely surrounded with the water. He said, in a few days, the Holy Spirit is going to do that for you internally, and therefore you're going to be completely immersed and surrounded by the Holy Spirit Just as John immersed you in water, I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And so there's abundance here. 
And so just as we're surrounded by water and baptism, when we come to Christ, we are surrounded by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul said, you have all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So before Jesus came, and before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the Spirit would come only upon prophets and priests and kings, and usually only for special service or special events. But since Pentecost in Jesus... He comes upon all of God's people and transforms them all into prophets, priests, and princes and princesses is what he does. And so the Holy Spirit walks with all believers today. What the prophets and priests and kings of the Old Testament enjoyed, all believers today enjoy permanently, not momentarily, and abundantly, not in a measured or economized fashion. John 3, 34, John said that he gives his spirit without measure. And so every child of God is a potential prophet, priest, prince, or princess in the kingdom of God with kingdom authority and kingdom power. It can be done. Great commission service can be accomplished by all the people of God. So just as God's Son came to live in the human body of Jesus at conception, So the Holy Spirit comes to live in the human body of all believers, those who know Jesus Christ and follow Him. And so our need for the power of the Holy Spirit is great, and quite frankly, He's worth the wait. That's why Jesus said in verse number 5, or verse number, yeah, verse number 5, to wait, to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you are to wait until He clothes you with power from on high. Jesus is emphasizing the need for the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not enough to have intelligence or degrees or a building or a budget or a climate-controlled worship center. Ladies and gentlemen, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit. All effective Great Commission ministries emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit and intentionally seek the power of the Holy Spirit. And the early church did this. They had no money. They'd given up their small businesses three years before. Uh, they had no pull or reputation or prestige. Uh, they never had that. In fact, their leader had just been crucified days before. They had none of the things that the church has today. But ladies and gentlemen, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they pray for 10 days. Peter preaches for three minutes, and 3,000 are saved. We pray for three minutes, preach for 10 days, and we wonder what the power is. He said, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. The hour is too late. The need is too great. The enemy too trained. Our resources too strained. Spirits in too much pain. Souls have too many stains for us to look to any other means other than the power of the Holy Spirit. The collective wisdom, skill, or talent is not adequate for the need of the hour. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit. The immoral revolution the breakdown of the family, the advance of liberalism, the collapsing souls prove this point in startling fashion and with unmistakable clarity, the only power adequate for the need of the hour is the Holy Spirit's power. We've tried everything else. It's time to try Him. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so our task today is to make our hearts as much a hospitable residence for Him as we will do for our Christmas guests this Christmas season. 
And let's just imagine Christmas guests are going to show up in 10 minutes. What kind of desperation would you have making your home ready for Christmas guests? You'd forgotten all about them, and they're showing up in 10 minutes. They've just called you. They're somewhere on Highway 316. I don't know about you, but it would get rather desperate around my home. So desperate, I would step outside the backyard and slip off someplace. That's exactly what I would do. Too desperate for my taste. What would you do if you knew guests were going to show up at your home in 10 minutes for a Christmas celebration, one that you'd forgotten about? That is the same kind of desperation that we need in seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. And the key to getting the power of the Holy Spirit is to apply desperation to a number of items. We need desperate prayer. James 5.16 says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There were three preachers who were talking about the best position in which to pray. They were meeting at a pastor's um, uh, office And there was a uh, phone company man there seeking to repair a phone in the pastor's office. And they were talking about the best position in which to pray. And uh, one pastor said, well, I think the best position to pray in is to kneel. I've had sweet prayer times on my knees. Another pastor said, no, I stand, I lift up my hands, and I gaze into heaven, as Jesus did in John chapter 17. That's the best position to pray. Another pastor said, no, I like to lay down prostrate on the floor to symbolize humility before God. That's the best position to pray. Well, the phone company fellow said, guys, the best prayer position I've ever been in and my best time of prayer was spent hanging upside down from a telephone pole. (laughs) May I say to you, the largest problem we've got in this day, as Vance Habner said, is that the times are desperate, but the saints are not. When you watch the newscast and read the news reports, don't become angry. Become broken and seek God in prayer and ask Him to bless powerfully. So we need desperate prayer. We need desperate repentance. Romans 2.5 says, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Repentance is a good thing. We get to turn away from that which harms the cause of Christ that which harms us, that which harms others. And we get to turn to the purity and all the goodness of God that helps the kingdom of God and helps us and helps the world. It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Repentance means to change your mind and forsake sin. Let's imagine that you found, your doctor found a malignant growth on your body. How desperate would you be to rid your body of that? Be that desperate to rid yourself of sin. And if it takes every day, then do it desperate repentance. Then there's desperate surrender. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Is Jesus Christ my Lord? You ask that question? Is Jesus Christ my Lord? Do you know how you can know Christ is your Lord? Christ is your Lord when you do what he says. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. D.L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do more with it than you ever could. And I think he's right. Ian Thomas said, when all that you you are is available to all that God is, then all that God is is available to who you are. God surrenders all his supplies to those who surrender all their will. Desperate surrender. In other words, we need to long and hunger and thirst for prayer. Long and hunger and thirst for repentance. And long and hunger for surrender. We need to count prayer, repentance, and surrender as our very best friends. 
next to Jesus. So we may have prayer and confession and commitment, but they become effective when we get desperate. And again, Vance Habner said, it's time for holy desperation because it's late for anything else. And I think he's right. You can exalt Jesus in Great Commission service because the Holy Spirit gives abundant internal power, but He also gives abundant external power. The power that He gives is adequate for your soul because He baptizes you into the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. But then His power is also adequate as you reach the whole world, as you go to the whole world. There is not an exigency, a circumstance, a providence anywhere on the earth for which the power of the Holy Spirit is not adequate. He is adequate for it all. And Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, indicates this in verses 6 through 8. There is in verse 6 a question. In verse 7, there's an answer. And then at the end of verse 8, there is a meaning. First, there's the question about the restoration of Israel's kingdom. The disciples would, uh, would uh, naturally think of this because mention of the Holy Spirit would stir in a Jewish mind notions of the restoration of Israel's kingdom. The prophets would announce that or had announced that. And so when they heard Holy Spirit, they heard Israel's kingdom and its restoration. So their question in verse 6 is uh, entirely, uh, entirely uh, reasonable. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Jesus gives an answer in verse 7 and 8. Most interpreters say about verses 7 and 8 that Jesus set aside their question. He ignored it and talked about another subject that he thought was more important. I object to that. Quite frankly, Jesus did not set aside their question. Jesus answered it. And he did so very well. And he answered the question about the restoration of Israel's kingdom. Uh, his answer... Uh, is, uh, begins in verse 7. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. Anytime you hear a Bible teacher announce a date for the return of Christ, you're listening to someone that is going beyond what the Scripture says. Even Jesus said, even the Son of Man does not know. And if Jesus did not know, none of these jokers on TV or radio know either. And, and, and you need to turn them off and move them on. Don't send them any money, okay? So it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. That's the answer. He goes on and uses the terms of the kingdom, power and Holy Spirit. And then He gives a vision of the extent of His kingdom. But you shall receive power, kingdom power, when the kingdom's prosecuting attorney, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me, the King, in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Jesus did announce the restoration of the kingdom in verse 8. But he had a larger vision. They were concerned about the kingdom returning to Israel. Jesus anticipated returning to the whole world. Jerusalem, yes. Judea, yes. Even Samaria. But beyond those boundaries to the ends of the earth. Not just Israel. And so he is teaching them the rule of the kingdom of God is much broader than you've imagined up to this point, as indicated in verse 6. It's to the ends of the earth. But then he had probably a different method in mind. They, or at least other Jews, expected a military victory. Jesus said the victory will not come with carnal weapons of warfare. The victory comes by being witnesses to me, the greatest weapon in all the world. 
because the Holy Spirit will be upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses to me and advance the kingdom all over the globe. So, beloved, watch this. The kingdom is restored to Israel and all the earth when followers of Christ share the gospel throughout the world. That is how God restores the kingdom. So Jesus really answered verse 6 with a yes, but a larger vision and a different method than what they expected. Christ restores the kingdom throughout all the earth when we take the Great Commission to Gentiles and Jews in the power of the Holy Spirit. God brings His kingdom into the world every time someone repents and believes the gospel. Every Christian that you see, I mean, I'm talking about the real ones too, those who really know Christ, who really follow Him and manifest that with the fruit of obedience, that, those people are where the kingdom of God is located. And anytime someone repents and believes the gospel, the kingdom expands. And today in Southern Baptist ministry alone, there will be at least a thousand who come to Christ today in North America and around the globe through Southern Baptist ministries alone, not to mention the other good Bible-believing groups with the biblically defined ministry. So the Holy Spirit is not only adequate to meet your personal need, but He's also up to the challenges to every place on the earth. The Holy Spirit is not intimidated by Judea. He's not intimidated by Jerusalem. He's not intimidated by Samaria. He's not intimidated by any place between them and all the end of the earth. He is adequate for the hour and He's adequate for the moment. And I want to prove that to you for just a moment. Nearly every week, some member of our congregation or some place where I speak will come up to me and comment on the sermon. And I want to tell you I appreciate your kind comments about the messages, but I have to admit to you, it's very hard to do a bad book report on a good book. Very difficult. And so the credit and the glory goes to God. But folks will come up almost every week and comment on the message. And they will say, you know, Sunday, when you said, and they will make a statement. They're entirely sincere. But what I have to tell you is that usually I don't make those statements. They heard those statements, but I did not make them. In fact, back in 1988, during the greatest decade in American history, I was a camp pastor at uh, Centrifuge Youth Camp at East Texas Baptist University. And I had a message I preached every week to teenagers, and I decided to modify it radically about week six. We were there for about nine weeks. And about week five or six, I modified it radically and removed a particular statement out of the message. Two weeks later, I preached that message as it had been modified. And after the service, a, an adult came to me and said, you know this evening when you said and quoted that statement I had removed from the message. Beloved, that happens nearly every week here. I don't make some of those statements, but you hear them. Do you know why? The power of the Holy Spirit. I use a word or have a punctuation point in the sentence somewhere, and the Holy Spirit builds a spur and travels you along that spur to a thought where He wants your heart and mind. Beloved, I want to say to you, when you share the gospel of Christ, the Holy Spirit will give you that kind of power. And I appreciate so much people praying for me and praying for our staff. If it were not for your prayers, things like that and other things would never happen. 
The Holy Spirit does not tremble at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, or even the Athens-Clark County metropolitan region. He is adequate for every exigency of life. Now, the most important factor then in having the power of the Holy Spirit is not only desperation, but a faith that will obey. Desperation to prepare for the power of the Holy Spirit and a faith that will obey God. Desperation and an obedient faith. Manly Beasley said, Faith is acting as if it's so. When it isn't so, so God will make it so. Jesus said in Mark 9, 29, Be it done to you according to your faith. In other words, God measures your faith and says, By that measurement, I'm going to bless them. Expand your faith. No wonder the Father cried out, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Expand and grow your faith in the Lord and a faith that will obey God and simply leave the consequences with Him. What does God want you to do today then? How must you obey Him? Faith is acting as if it's so when it isn't so, so God will make it so. So here's what you do. You go before God and you say, God, I really want to be a witness today. Please bless me. And then you go out on your day as if God's going to answer that prayer. You don't wait for a feeling, a liver shiver, goosebumps, anything like that. You just simply obey God. Do what God wants you to do. And it doesn't matter what area of life it is. You obey God and you obey Him as if He's going to answer your prayer. If you will act as if it's so when it isn't so, God will make it so, be it done to you according to your faith. You may confess today, though, I've not obeyed the Lord, and I've certainly not done it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've disobeyed Him, and I've leaned upon my own strength even when I have tried to obey Him. I've got good news for you, and better, Jesus Christ does. He's defeated all of your sins by His resurrection and ascension to heaven. Because he bled and died on the cross, and he now is, sits enthroned upon a throne of mercy, a throne of grace. He is a sovereign of love who rushes to the cry, to the tear, to the contrite heart, to the humble heart. And if you'll turn to him today, he will cancel all your disobediences and your debts to the court of heaven. The moment you ask him for mercy. In fact, Jesus told of one man who prayed a simple prayer one day, and all he said was, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man returned to his home justified and cleaned and pure. You cry out to God with a tear, with a contrite heart, a broken heart, humility, and God rushes with handfuls of grace and immerses you in mercy and kind love is what he does. And he wants to do that today, and he can, and he's justified to do so because Christ is bled, he's risen from the dead, and ascended to the throne on high. Jesus Christ is your hope. Turn to him today. And what we're going to do now is that we're going to sing a song, and we're going to invite you to come. And staff will be here in front in just a moment. I want you to come share your spiritual need. Give your heart and life to Christ. Follow Him. Call out to God for mercy. Some of you have already done that, but you need to follow Him in baptism. We want you to come. 
Some of you have done that, but you need to become a member of Beach Haven Baptist Church and follow the Lord in this local church as the Scripture commands. You may have some other ministry need. Maybe God's calling you to ministry or missionary service. We want to share on that with you. You come. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let me pray, and then we're going to ask you to come. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise of His Word. We appreciate so much the power of the Holy Spirit and even the power that's operative here today. And I want to pray, oh God, you'd give all the power necessary to decide for Christ today. Help friends overcome the spiritual warfare that the enemy afflicts upon them and the mischief that his kingdom creates in this time. And I pray that friends would place faith in Christ and repent, call out to you, make commitments, become part of this church, surrender to ministry or missionary service as you call them, as is your will whatever your will may be today. Father, help us to have that. And when we leave here today, I want to pray that everything about us, God, would be fit for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing. Staff will stand here. You come and share your spiritual need. If you need to step out into the aisle, folks will move out of their way for you. Don't let that get in your way. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be shy. We've all done it here. It's your time. It's your time now. Let's come. Let's come. Would you sing together? You come. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end.
righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe your all through us. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be a measure of our lives. We believe your all to us. Your all to us. Let me say to you, our altar call, our altar call is uh, 